Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your December 2nd edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. We're in a new month. December is here, another month closer to the end of 2020. And hopefully the National Hockey League getting back on the ice soon enough. This episode kicks off uh, a theme that is obviously very near and dear to my heart. It's goaltending. And in particular, Flyers goaltending. The men behind the mask. And we're going to talk to a bunch of different Flyers goaltenders over the next bunch of episodes. Continue to keep you updated on the NHL news and notes as uh, hopefully the return to play comes together uh, rather quickly. But over the next bunch of episodes, we're going to feature Flyers goaltenders from the past. And we're going to end this whole series with the Flyers goaltenders of the present. Here's who you're going to hear from. In this episode, you'll hear from Martin Biron, who played in Philadelphia, was traded here from the Buffalo Sabres, and then spent two and a half years here in Philly. And one of the things that Marty was responsible for was the recruitment of Danny Briere. So great job by Marty and uh, served uh, the organization well. Ended up playing here in 2007 to 2933 games. Now, the most games played for a Flyers goaltender is Ron Hextall. Played here a total of 11 years, over two stints, and 489 games. Number two on the all-time games played list, of course, is Bernie Perrant, who played 486 games here from 1968 to 1979. And as I was looking through this, I was stunned to find out that number three on the list is Steve Mason. He's played the third most amount of games as a Flyers goaltender. Big drop-off after Bernie. 231 games uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. Then Doug Favell uh, and Pete Peters in there as well in the top five. Another guy that we'll talk to on this uh, series of Flyers goaltenders, Brian Boucher. The six most games in NHL history for the Flyers. Wayne Stevenson in there as well. Pelly Lindberg was 10th. We're going to do an episode dedicated to Pelly. Uh, but our episode this time is with Marty Biron. Martin Biron was one of the rare combination of a goaltender that was really good, like Bouche, at articulating to the media, articulating to fans, a really good guy. And here's my conversation with our first guest on Flyers Goalie Week, Martin Biron. Flyers Goalie Week continues, and I'm so excited to talk to this guy. He's not only one of the best talkers, he had a 16-year NHL career, spent uh, a good three years here in Philadelphia as well, chose Philadelphia as a free agent signing. Martin Biron joins us right now. Martin, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, it was uh, uh, the only, I was only traded once in my career and it was from Buffalo to Philly. So, and then I signed, as you pointed out, I was going to be a UFA that summer. So I signed with the team. Um, I could have walked away, but uh, it was the only team I've ever been traded to. So uh, that's a pretty cool tidbit right there. Nice. Uh, And part of that, let's start here because part of that, and the reason why you extended here, you had a guy that was uh, beating the drum for Philadelphia for you, and that was Danny Briere. How much uh, influence did he have on that decision? Well, actually, it was kind of it's the other way around. I got to Philly before Danny oh, that's got right. here. Right. Yeah. So I was beating the drum for Danny. I'm like, hey, come oh. on over, let's go. No, not that bad because we can't. Technically, we're not allowed. That would be tampering. That yeah. would be, uh, you know. But uh, I was working out with him. But the the guy really that sold me on it, it was Don Luce. And for many people in, in Flyer, you know, uh, fans won't even know Don Luce was with the organization, but he came over as a player personnel or an assistant direct, uh, general manager with Paul Holmgren. And I had been knowing Don for years in Buffalo. He, he was here with the organization when I got drafted. We was here when I played my first few years with Buffalo. So um, then, you know, he moves on with the Flyers. I get traded there at the deadline in 07. And obviously I got to talk to him a ton. And before the end of the year, um, you know, we had a contract worked out, a two-year deal. I wanted a four-year deal, but the, the Flyers were willing to give me a two. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Let's let's make it happen because Don Lewis was somebody I really believed in and he could put a really good team together with the the, the group there. And that's what sold me on it. Well, and then Danny comes here, and Danny still resides here now. He's been one of the great citizens. Yeah. Martin, one of the thing about you is I say when certain guys go to a city, they bring their hockey with them, but they also bring their personality, their values, uh, the person that they are with them. And, and you were one of those guys. And it's rare for goaltenders to to be such great articulators like you are. Um, you're doing TV now, and, and you have been for a while. 
coming to the city, you were an asset to the city with more than just hockey. I thought, I thought it was a, an important time for the flyers as well. Did you ever kind of look at that element of what you brought? Um, I, I was always focused on the game, but I, again, a big thing about being a good hockey player, a good teammate, a good person is that you're not just focusing on the two hours or three hours that you're at the rink practicing and your workouts. And you know, it's a 24 hour thing. So I remember, especially in Philadelphia, but I got drafted in Buffalo and Buffalo is a smaller market, but everybody loves their sport, right? The Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Sabres, everybody loves it. So you go to the grocery store, people ask you about the games. You go, you know, anywhere, the movie theater, people are asking you about the game. So Philadelphia was the same way. I thought Philly was going to be a much bigger market and that people wouldn't recognize you. I was, you know, mistaken there. So Philadelphia was the same way. Um, I did love my time in Philly. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I had good friends there with the Flyers. Obviously you talk about Danny Briere, a couple of great years with Danny, but Simone Gagné was a guy that, uh, uh, played hockey in the youth hockey against my brother. And they played together, I think at a certain level. So obviously Simone, um, I knew him really well. So I was excited to, to be a flyer. Um, and, but I was excited to be in Philadelphia, walk around the town, get to experience it, go to a Sixers game, go to a Phillies game. I mean, we went to World Series game and, and the fan base was fantastic. They, uh, you know, they supported their team. They're, they're tough, but I, I loved every part of it. So it was definitely a good two and a half years. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like a lot of athletes come here or, or the view from Philadelphia from the outside is a lot different from the view from the inside. Um, a lot of people make there's narratives about the Philadelphia sports fan in this landscape. And then you get here and you find out it's a little bit different. And like you said, you thought it was this like megapolis market. And then you get here, it's really kind of a small town feel in this big market, which is cool. Uh, Marty, what, what led you uh, into the pipes? Was it an older brother? Was it the gear? Was it a combination? Yeah, it was the gear. Now growing up in Quebec city, I was a Quebec Nordics fan. Uh, and you know, through and through, like, I, I can name you all the goalies that have played for the Nordic starting in 79 in the NHL. I was only two years old, but I, I know all of them. Right. So my days, you know, in the early eighties, when I was five, six years old, it was Daniel Bouchard. It was Mario Gosselin. Uh, then it, it became, uh, obviously guys like Jacques Cloutier, Stéphane Fizet, whatnot. Right. Uh, uh, those type of goaltenders with Quebec, but the gear was just starting to be in a transition phase in the late seventies, early eighties goalies now had blue gear, like blue pads and yeah, not just the brown leather, yeah. not just the brown leather and the mask. Right. I mean, the mask were not just the white mask or the cage with the, the you know, the helmet. Um, they started to paint their mask a lot more. Um, there was an, an identity and an attraction to goaltending. So I was really drawn to it. Um, I had an, uh, an uncle that played, you know, bar beer league and he was a goalie, but he was also a lacrosse goalie. And uh, so I thought that was very interesting, you know, the whole goaltending part of it. So I kind of jumped right into it um, as a youngster, but my dad was pretty smart. My, my dad uh, coached my brother and I in hockey and in baseball and all of that. And he says, you want to be a goalie? That's fine. But you have to play until you're a certain age, you have to play forward or defense you have to skate and then once in a while you'll be in net so I did that rotation as a kid uh, which developed my skating developed my hockey sense, develop, sense developed my my uh, my hands my stick handling ability and all of that which was really needed to be a goaltender so um, that really helped as well yeah we talk about skating with goaltenders and I always say they need to be the best skater on the ice yeah it's different when you're in that but it's all about control and you have to have th that muscle has to build up and everything. Um, when did you go full-time in that? Was it around uh, squirt? Um, yeah, I don't. So the way we, we work it in Canada is novice is like uh, might. And then squirt is called Adam. So I mm -hmm. think my last year of might, my last year of novice was when I, I really said, okay, now I'm going to be in that. But at four or five years old, I took skating lessons and then at, you know, a year or two later, you start with the learning to play. So you're in full gear, but you're still skating around. So by the time you're eight, nine, eight, maybe is when I went full time, like six, seven, I would split back and forth eight. I may have been, have been half and half at eight. And then at nine, I was full time. So you're talking about, you know, a little bit later. Uh, which was good because the age groups were different also back then. Yeah. Peewee was 12 and 13. Now Peewee is 11 and 12. So yeah. it was it was different. So I had a little bit more time, but um, funny enough. So 
I mean, people in, in the Philadelphia area and, and pretty much anywhere now um, don't really under, understand that part. But when I was a kid, we would skate every day. Yeah. But only twice a week, we would be at the arena. The other five times a week, we were on the backyard rink that my dad made or my neighbors across the street, or we would even skate in the street. Like my road, my street would get so icy and so padded down snow that we could skate on it. So we would skate every day. And when we played outside, I wasn't a goalie. I hated no. being a goalie outside. I wanted to score goals. I was a player. So even that helped me become a better goalie at a young age because I wasn't just stuck in net. I was doing a lot of other things. Even though it wasn't organized hockey, I was having fun and developing uh, more skills. Yeah, it's also developing your hockey sense too to be able to replays, isn't yeah. it? To to know where threats are and what they look like from the other side, no, you know, from the shooter side, and you know, it teaches you how to how to line up on the puck, not the man, and those kind of things, and what the shooter sees when the goalie's in certain positions. Um, when did you know you were good? When did you know that maybe you were a little different than uh, all the kids in the neighborhood, and that you were going to be uh, really good at this? So I. Um... I, it didn't happen until late. Now, I, I knew it was good, but I didn't play the top level, you know, the triple E type hockey. Like our, our highest level was double A. And then the next level was double C. So it, the letters worked a lot different than what it is now. But so I played double C at a, as a squirt both years. My first year Pee Wee, I played double C. And then my second year Pee Wee, I played double A. But I, it was my first experience in the, in the, the top league. I, I was okay. Then as a Bantam, my first year, somehow I made the double A team and it's, you know, it's harder because there was no Bantam minor, Bantam major. It was just Bantam. So it's so two year a, group. Yeah. So it's a two year group. So I was the, yeah. the year younger, but my second year Bantam, that's when now I was like, I'm pretty good at this because our team was really good. We won the provincial championship, which is basically like winning the state championship. There was no national championship at the time, but we, we were really good. And now you're getting ready to play midget AAA, which now you're looking at juniors. Um, so it, I would say that was the Bantam year. I never really thought I was going to, you know, play juniors or, or anything like that until I was done with my second year Bantam season. And then after that, now you got colleges calling you and they're like, mm -hmm. hey, uh, maybe colleges for you. And I'm like, I don't speak English. <laughs> like, uh, that's going to be tough. And they're telling you, well, you're going to probably have to go play tier two in Ontario and all that. So for me, it was like, no, I'm playing juniors. If I can do something, I'm going to play juniors. And that's what I ended up doing. Yeah, you end up going to the queue. Um, yeah. You did play in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. I've talked about yes. that tournament a lot on this uh, podcast uh, with different guys. And the history of it is so insane. What was the experience like to play in that really prestigious tournament? So Obviously, I grew up, right, 20 yeah. minutes down the road from oh. the Jose in Quebec City. So I, my mom and my dad were really strict about school, especially my mom. We weren't allowed to miss school uh, because of snow days. If the bus didn't come pick you up, my mom would get in the car. She'd drive us to school. We, if we had the sniffles a little bit, it was like, you're going to school. Like it was go to school. But one day a year, we got to skip school and go to the Pee Wee tournament. Like I remember being eight, nine, 10, and having to pack my lunch in the morning. And we would spend the whole day, go at about nine in the morning and stay until six, seven o'clock at night and watch 10 games in a row, right? It was unbelievable. Oh, so hockey heaven. <laughs> hockey heaven. I mean, the memories I have from that, playing mini sticks in the hallway, whatever. It was fantastic. Trading pins unbelievable so now as as a, a peewee second year peewee because my first year peewee we we didn't get in so now i i got an opportunity to go to the peewee tournament in quebec city and we play on a friday night and you gotta remember now we're talking 91 maybe 90 yep. uh, 91 um the quebec nordiques are still around right but they they go on the road for that 10 days so they don't play home games but there is a team that's re representing the Quebec Nordiques, like the NHL teams are being well represented. And on Friday night, the first Friday night at seven o'clock, the Nordiques always played. The Pee Wee Nordiques always played. Well, we were the game after at like 8.45. So when we jumped on the ice, there was 12,000 uh, people in the building. It's a wow. 15,000 seat building. There's 12,000 people on Friday night. But by the end of the first period, there was like 500 people left. Like everybody laughed, right? So, but I remember starting the game thinking, whoa, like there's a ton of people. And uh, we played a team from Sherbrooke, which is a little south of Montreal. And they were one of the favorite to win the, uh, the tournament that year. So we didn't think we had much of a chance. Now, a good buddy of mine who also played in the National Hockey League, his name is Mark Schwinnard. 
uh, played in Minnesota, played in Anaheim. Um, he was on my team, a tall center, right-handed shot. He scored a shorthanded goal in the second period to go ahead one nothing, and we won the game one nothing. Wow. I remember I made a save in the dying seconds, right? A pass across, the guy goes to tap it in the empty net. I laid down, put my glove out, and I made the save. And you know, everybody kind of fell on top of me. And the referee's trying to see where's the puck, where's the puck. And then he says, no goal, no goal, no goal. And then that was like with 10 seconds left in the game, right? I mean, that, that there was probably the biggest save I made in my career in my life uh, to win this game one nothing. So I still have the VHS tape. I should show my kids that, but uh, we have the VHS tape of the game. It was an incredible experience. It was so much fun. We lost the second game, but we did win the, the first game. Yeah. And, and in your mind, you just say, those 12,000 people all stayed. <laughs> and they saw that save. <laughs> they all saw the save. They don't know. And I'm going to replay it. I'm going to put it on YouTube so people can see the save, right? So <laughs> uh, We'll be looking for it on your YouTube channel. It's yeah. amazing. Um, do you have one of those kind of uh, memories where you remember so many distinctive saves, not only like when you were a peewee, but all through your pro career as well? I remember saves. I remember goals too. Yeah. Try <laughs> and know, forget those I right do, away. <laughs> I do have distinctive memory of certain moments in games, uh, specific, especially big, uh, big games, right? Playoff games. Um, I do have pretty distinct memories of some of that. And some of them happen in Philly. So if you're going to quiz me, I, I hope I get the right stuff. <laughs> well, as a goalie though, you have to try and, um, reset as much as possible because if you let a bad goal in, that's going to happen. It happens to every goalie. Um, you're going to let in a laugher from time to time. You're going to read a play wrong, or you're just going to misjudge a shot or whatever. Sometimes it's going to look bad and it's really not your fault, but to be able to reset mentally, what, what, what was it in your career that uh, took you to a mental level to be able to have success at the NHL level? Cause that's tough. Uh, when I was in juniors, my agent at the time, um, Gilles Lupien. So he played in the NHL. He was a defenseman, but he, um, he, he kind of like approached me one day and he says, how about you play the game and you break it down into five minutes of action? Because when you play midget and you play Bantam, you don't play full 20 minute periods. And then a 60 minute game is a long game. And if you're yeah. thinking about the whole 60 minutes, you're going to be overwhelmed. So the transition to play from minor hockey to juniors uh, was a big one with the 20 minutes. And he said, you know, why don't you break it in a five minute moment and then try to win every five minutes so my mind and I did that pretty much my whole career before every face-off I would look at the clock I would tell myself okay let's see the clock said 1825 I would say there's 325 left on this five minutes that's what you're focusing on the rest is for later and the pass is in the past so I would focus on that 325 I would focus on that 50 seconds then the next face-off whoop now it's 11, 12, right? So I'm focusing on the minute 12 left. I always broke it down in five minutes uh, periods. Um, so that kept me going. And, and you're right. We forget the saves. We forget the goals. The big difference is, is that as my career grew, more and more video, more and more access to highlights. So obviously I've seen highlights of many goals or many saves that I've made. I don't maybe remember them in the moment, but I remember what it was like or what happened because I've seen so many of them now with, with video and highlights and all of that stuff. Uh, Marty, one of the things with goaltending, a lot of times goaltenders, they're the last line of defense and it's a tremendously pressure packed position. And that's why I love talking to goalies because the, the feeling of being a goalie is, is so different than anything else in sports, because as an athlete, you want to dictate terms as a goaltender, you're in a reactionary position. But when you look at, you know, being a goalie and at the NHL level and seeing all those things, a lot of times goalies get blamed or have gotten blame for saves or goals that weren't their fault. A lot of times a goalie is a product of their environment. Um, talk about, you know, playing in front of different environments or behind different environments throughout your career and the effect of that. Cause as goalies, we know when so-and-so is out there on defense and that scorers out there, I feel a lot better when that guy's on the ice. Yeah. I see another guy go, why is he on the ice? Why this line's out there. You know, it is funny you say that when my first year with the flyers, my first full season, we had two guys on defense that I absolutely loved when they were on the ice in front of me. And you may think of guys like Kimo Timonen and some mm -hmm. of the great right now. It was Jason Smith and, uh, and Darian Hatcher. And Hatch was 
about as slow as you can get by that point. Like he wasn't moving a whole lot, but man, did I love when he was on the ice because I knew I could trust him, could rely on him. He was going to block a shot. He was going to get his man. He was going to move him out of the way. And Jason Smith, our captain, was the same way. Those guys I absolutely love. Uh, the biggest thing about a goalie is you have to adjust to everything. And there's going to be scenarios and situations where you can't control and you have to adjust quickly. What always bugged me, though, is when the coach is trying to teach a defensive system that you know is not going to work and you know is not beneficial with the way that the game is being played. And so that, because I was an opinionated person, I would, I would go and see the coaches and, and talk about the game or the systems or certain things. And then sometimes I'd be like, I love the defenseman to be on the strong side post. No, no, no. I want my D on the backside post. Yeah, but I, yeah. no, no, no. That's what we're going to play. Now I would be like, oh, that's so maddening. But you know what? You're the player. They're the coach. You have to adjust. Yeah. So you have to forget about it. Again, you have to have really short-term memory to be able to move on and say, that's the way it's going to be. Now put it on my shoulders to be able to make the saves whenever they're asked me to, uh, to make a save. And that, that to me was probably the biggest challenge. Um, I, I didn't care. Guys will make mistakes. That's fine. It happens. I made mistakes. It's going to happen. But when I could see a strategy or a system that didn't work to our advantage, penalty kill is a big example of that. Um, then I would try to, you know, adjust or talk about it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes we change things and sometimes it didn't. That was a big challenge. Yeah. Uh, net front presence where you want your D man in that situation. You want him in the middle of the ice, you cover short side. Cause if he throws it into the middle, there's more traffic. There. There's more things for the puck to hit. Oh, exactly. I hated the guy that's on the back door and then the pass goes across, hits a skate and goes into the net. I'm like, oh. why, why can't he be on the strong side post? And, 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 and with that way, I know if it hits him, it's going to hit me. Yeah. And if the pass gets to the other side, it's likely like a, a slow pass or a saucer pass. And I'll have a chance to get there. And yeah. I know what I need to worry about. Uh, but the game would change every two, three years. Like some team would have success doing something specific and then all the teams would want to do that. So I knew if I didn't win, you know, what I wanted to win the argument that day, maybe a year later, things were going to change. Yeah. Well, you were going to, you were going to be relentless and not stop. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> a bit vocal. Uh, let me ask you, uh, because one of the great things about the position is the goaltenders are different. They're almost their own little grouping uh, away from the skaters. And you have partners, if you will, tandem mates, whatever you call them. You had some good ones, man. Um, <laughs> early in your career, Dominic Hasek, you had Ryan Miller at one point. Uh, you also had Henrik Lundqvist. Talk about the effect. Let's start with Hasek because you can't go out there and go, I'm going to do what he does because it was so unconventional yet there was conventional aspects to it and just the way he read plays and got the spots. But what was it like uh, working with him? Yeah. You know what? You're probably one of the first person that actually understands what Dominic Hasek's game was like, because people were going to say, well, you played with the dominator. You probably had to turn around and watch, you know, the opposite direction because you can't do what he's doing. And I always say, no, Dom was so good. Technically, his skating was so good. Is is being in the spot and and stopped. You know, we talk about being stopped in a position to be able to face a shot. Well, Dom was always faster than the play ahead of him. Yeah, so beat he the pass. Always, he beat the pass. That's yep. Francois Allaire and Benoit Allaire were two of the gurus when I grew up, and they always say, "Beat the pass, beat the pass, beat the pass." And that's what uh, Dominic would do. And I would watch him and watch him and watch him. Now, yes, when he got to the spot and he had beaten that pass. The way he made saves were not the way I made saves, but still the, the basics of it was all there. And I learned so much for Dom. I learned the work ethic from Dominic Hasek, one of the guys that would be on the ice until nobody could score on him. Um, there's a great story. Curtis Brown scored in a shootout drill in practice on Dominic Hasek. And he celebrated in the corner like he had just won the Stanley Cup. Well, Dom made him put 50 pucks at center ice and said, go ahead take 50 breakaways and did not let him score in one of them. Oh and he goodness. basically said, I'm not satisfied until number one, I stopped all of those. And two, um, I'm going to outwork everybody here. And three, this is the last time you're going to celebrate on the ice. Like you just want to stand like up. So yeah. I'm going to show you a little something about being humble here. Um, so he was fantastic. And, you know, Ryan Miller was younger than me, but the same things applied to Milsey where, he was one of the hardest working guy. He was so competitive uh, in a different way. 
uh, you know, he was a, a newer school type of goaltender, uh, very lengthy, a lot more butterfly to his game, a lot of quick reaction to his game. Um, so it was totally different. And you talked about Lundqvist, again, hardest working guy on the ice. I was so mad that my first week in New York, right? I'm, I'm past my 30s. I've been in the league 12, 13 years. You know, practice on a Wednesday morning is like whatever. Um, the practice is over. I'm looking to get off the ice. And there's Lundqvist at the other end taking shots after shots after shots, taking one-timers, taking breakaways. And all I want to do is get off the ice. And I'm the backup goalie, so I can't because yeah. I'm you there look bad. to service the players, right? So yeah. to, what do you need? And and I'm, at that moment, I said, well, this is going to be a long few seasons. And, and I got used to it. And it, it, was, it made me better, to be honest with you. Uh, but I loved working with all of these guys because they were – very competitive and um, they made me better. Really, that's the plain and simple. They made me better. Yeah, it's an education in a lot of ways too, just to see different approaches. But the one thing, the constant for greatness is hard work, which you can control. It's again, control the controllable and yeah. you can control your, your your work ethic and your preparation. Um, yes. Let me ask you about playing goaltending, being the goalie in Philadelphia, because yeah. it's uh, been talked about obviously for many years that uh, this is a tough goalie market. Um, we're going to talk about the, where it is right now with Carter Hart, but let's talk about your time here in Philadelphia coming in to be the goaltender in this city. Uh, what was that? Was that an intimidating, uh, prospect at that time? No, because I always thought that Philly was a really, uh, good place for goaltenders because especially goalies that needed an opportunity. Uh, maybe that's because they weren't really patient for years and years and years. They weren't patient with their guys. So many different guys got opportunities in Philadelphia and they performed well. I mean, I go back, yeah, we can go back to Bernie Perron at Pelly Lindbergh and, and Ron Extall. But, you know, for me, I look at guys like uh, Robert Esch got a really a, a solid foundation, went to the conference finals. Like he did well in Philadelphia. Chuck Manick did well in Philadelphia. Brian Boucher did well in Philadelphia. Those were the guys I competed against. And I never understood why all of a sudden, like time was over. Time is up with these guys and they need to move on. So, but I knew that many goalies that had opportunities and performed really well. So going into Philly for me was not like, well, goalies go to Philly to die. It was goalies go to Philly and they perform because Bush went to the conference final. And I don't, I think Chuck Manick might as well gone to the conference final. And I know Robert Ash did. So I'm like, yep. Hey, they it's had Tampa. success. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was the old three Oh four season. Right. Yep. So my goalies have had success in Philly and I'm going to have success in Philly as well. Now, the patience thing is a totally different uh, uh, ball of wax, right? I, I don't think that the, the Philadelphia Brass and the organization and the, the, the fan base really wanted to stay patient. If a goalie didn't have a good season or really so-so season, they're out. Let's bring another one. Out, bring another one. And uh, that, I think, has hurt the Flyers in the long run. But a lot of goalies have had great opportunities in Philadelphia. Yeah, you're right about that. I think that that whole narrative that there hasn't been good goaltending here since Hextall Part One is total and complete BS. I, I really do. There's a lot John of John Burke did well in Philly. Uh -huh. like, I remember playing them in the '98 playoffs. I believe the Sabers played Philadelphia in the first round, um, and uh, I think Berkey was in that, and he was great. Like that was is 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 you know starting again, and then he went to Arizona, but they, he was he was a great goaltender. They had some great goalies. Yeah, and that comes after Hextall in '97, along with uh, John Van Beesbrook, and yep. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of names there, no doubt about it. Um, also, you know, playing in Philadelphia. You mentioned Dominic Roussel. That was another yeah. one from a blast from the past, but that's a different story. But anyway, he, he had a pretty good season too. Yeah, and Dominic Roussel, good guitar player now. He's a big musician. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's in, into playing music and stuff. Did, did you have anything that you did uh, in your downtime uh, when you were playing to, to kind of keep your mind free? Like playing um, music is one of those escapes for people. What, what, did, what did Marty Biron do? I'm a sports nut, right? I'm a sports geek. I love all sports. So for me, if there was a hockey game on TV, I watched it. I, I watched the highlights. I, I'm a sports fan. I watch baseball. I remember when we were in Philadelphia. So my son, who was born in 04, so he's probably like four years old and don't know why don't ask me why we put a tv in his room so that he would be able to watch tv or whatever he's four yeah he's four years old he was going to preschool and uh at night like i'm watching you know tv or whatnot and he'd come down the stairs uh, ryan, uh, ryan howard home run or like he was like 
he was just like he was infatuated with the Phillies and then we kept watching the Phillies so you know we went to Phillies game or um, I like golf so I tried to golf as much as I could when I, in the in the off season but I didn't have guitar I didn't have you know some guys are collectors some guys like certain things like for me it's it's always been all sports and it still is to this day yeah, well, your sports nut, and, and that's why you're still, you know, commenting on the game, and you got the the, the goalie academy. What's it like for you, uh, coaching the position now? I the, love the, it. The, the, the I position's love changing year and <laughs> like leaps and bounds. How you keep? I up need with younger it? guys with me on the ice to be able to do certain things. Like if I'm trying to teach reverse VH to a goalie about the skate position and the push off the post, I'm like dude, I can't do it. I'm going to need new hips or uh, after doing it, or I never did it, but I can teach it and I can uh, explain it and I can tell you how to use it. Um, and when I, to use it. <laughs> and when to use it. That's yeah. a big thing. Uh -huh. uh, you know, so it, I love being on the ice. Um, and, and sometimes it becomes where you go on the ice too much. Like uh, there was a couple of years where I was on the ice like four or five times a day and it became more of a, of, of a grind right and now with my job as an analyst and and everything else that i do i get to go on the ice maybe once twice a week maybe if i'm lucky um i was just on the ice a few days ago and the guy that i was with i was helping him out and he goes you have the hitch again to come back on the ice i'm like i love it like i mm. these guys were 16 17 year olds goalie uh, um they're good you know i'm pushing them and we're talking details i've got college guys shooting it was so much fun. So, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy the teaching. I do enjoy the learning because I talk to goalie coaches around the league and, and in the American League, and I learn about their approach, which I love. Um, but, yeah, I, I had two roads, right, when I retired. TV announcing type of thing or coaching, and I decided to straddle both of them for a while. But, obviously, the TV side took more of the, the percentage uh, – than the coaching side, but I still like to get both of them done. Uh, are you still wearing those old skates? No, I've got them in uh, got new wheels. Yeah, finally. Got, yeah. I got some new wheels. Um, I've got some Bauer, uh, no callings. They look more like a regular skate and, yeah. and I got the cheapest, softiest pair because I knew it wasn't about being sturdy and rigid. It was just about being on the ice, like with an old pair of sneakers. So comfortable, um, yeah. comfortable, but like my son, 16, he's a goalie. Um, you know, so now I live right through him. I, this year for the first time in his life, uh, I got him new custom equipment. I used to always get him used equipment or maybe stock stuff, but I didn't think he needed the, the, the high end. But now you're playing at 16, 17 year old, uh, you need some good stuff. So this year I, I um, ordered him a custom for his birthday this summer, um, custom Lefebvre pads and gloves and uh, uh, you were going nuts on that customizer i guarantee it online oh, i loved it like he didn't know <laughs> coming and me and my daughters sat there and design and picked the blue and the name mm -hmm. and the, that was so much fun but so now he's got it on the ice right and i'm like geez i want to get on the ice and wear the gear just to see what it feels like yeah. because i was such a again a goalie nerd a gear nerd like i love that stuff so um, yeah, so I feel a little jealous that he's getting the good stuff and I'm, I'm just, you know, still using the old stuff. You, you pick up his pads. You're like, are you kidding me? This, there's no weight to this thing. No. And, and the strapping rotate, system. And yeah. They rotate so good. Like for me, like up, up until maybe even late in my career going butterfly, there was always a part of your pad that, that didn't turn mm -hmm. that stayed a little bit more flat on the ice. Those things. As soon as you go down, they're turning, they're flipped. They're yep. like 11 inch on the side. They're not eight and a half, nine inch all crumbled in. Um, man, that's that's so impressive what they've done with equipment these days. Oh, uh, yeah, it is absolutely incredible. No doubt the, the, the advances. I mean, I remember wearing the old horsehair pads and you'd eventually wear a hole down by your foot and you'd be picking toe that. buckles. Did yeah. you wear toe buckles? Absolutely. Oh, I, I have my coho buckles. pads with a hinge in the back. Absolutely. I wore toe buckles in the NHL up until wow. I moved. Okay. So probably up until 2005, 2006, I had toe buckles in the NHL. Maybe, maybe I had laces the year before that, but up until like 2002, 2003, I wore the leather strap toe buckle around the, the, the yeah, front of the it. blade, loop it. I have to have tape on the blade because it's going to cut the, 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 mm -hmm. the strap. 
I mean, I wore toe buckle for a long time. And then you're wearing your pads tight on your leg as well at that time, right? Very tight. And, yeah. you know, you almost like, cutting off the circulation, almost cutting off the circulation. And, and for me, I did the opposite. I, I would do the toe. I'd put my pads up on me and I'd start from the top and then go to the bottom. Uh, most goalies would do the toe and then they'd start the bottom straps and work their way up. Yeah. I did the opposite. So my pad was really nice, nicely secured at the top and the bottom straps were tight. Like they were right against mm -hmm. my, uh, my calf and right against the back of my leg. Yeah. You felt connected to the equipment. Uh, let's, let's talk about, we we're talking about some, you know, the equipment now and, and the technical aspects. Let's talk about Carter Hart. Yes. Um, as a guy who you've seen a good amount of Carter, you've seen a lot of the, the good goalies, great goalies around the league from Carey Price, to Jacob Markstrom to you, know, you played with Henrik Lundqvist, who's now going to be in Washington. But let's talk about the 22 year old. How impressed have you been with uh, the way he started his career and the trajectory that he could be on? Well, it's very impressive. And I think it again, uh, you know, you're an organization, you plan for things, you prepare for things, you, you lay out this, this projection for, for players you never know what's going to happen. So in this case with Carter Hart, I thought the Flyers were really good. They're like, we're going to be patient. We're going to keep him in the American League as long as we can. We're going to get him to play games. They used 157 goalies in Philadelphia the one year before. They used Carter Hart, right? So, yeah, I'm exaggerating. I think it was like six goalies, and then Carter Hart was like the seventh guy. But, like, they waited until they couldn't wait anymore and he said, okay, well, now we, we've got so many injuries. Let's bring the kid. Let's make him play a few games. And he, like, it didn't phase him at all. So for me, that was the first thing I noticed. I, I knew Carter Hart. I'd watched him with the World Juniors Team Canada, uh, you know, and I had paid attention to his development in juniors a little bit. Uh, but now, okay, let's see what you've got in the National Hockey Leagues because a lot of goalies, they first get to the NHL. I was one of them deer in the headlight like oh my goodness what's going on and you need time to mature and i needed that time in the american league he did not look that way he looked very comfortable he looked obviously the speed and the ability is always going to be right there but it's it's the other stuff that makes you an nhl goalie or or not and i was so impressed with him right from the get-go everybody kept calling me and asking me radio station tv programs are like what do they do with Carter Hart? I'm like, as soon as somebody's healthy, you send them back down to the minors because he needs to keep playing in the minors and develop. Now, this is great. He's on adrenaline. He's on a boost. He's going to perform well. But then after a little bit, there's going to be a dip. And when that dip happens, send him back to the minor, continue working on your stuff. There was never a dip. Like yeah. they, The guys were healthy and they're like, oh, we're, we're playing the kid. You're healthy. Yeah, but we're not playing you. We're playing the kid. Um, so he was very impressive. Obviously, everything that that he does in his movement and his uh, so efficient, so efficient, so so flowy. Like there's, it's it's very it's it's almost like it looks comfortable. Like playing goalie should be uncomfortable. You should mm -hmm. be moving left, right, down, up, like bumping guys, like getting it with pucks. His is so nice and easy and. Reminds me a lot of Carey Price. And I know the comparison has been done many, many times. Everybody talks about Carter Hart, the new Carey Price. They play very similar. They act very similar. Uh, but there's a reason why Carey Price is one of the best in the National Hockey League. And there's a reason why Carter Hart is on his way to be one of the best in the National Hockey League, if he's not even one of the top guys right now, is the fact that they, uh, they move in a certain way that looks easy to them. And yeah. we could talk about, you know, Freddie Couples as a golfer, right? His swing is so effortless. So, it's yeah. so easy. So he's one of the great, right? You look at, you know, Peyton Manning. He would, buy, he would drop in the pocket. It was like so effortless, so easy. Whoop, I'm picking you guys apart, right? Like uh, um, LeBron James, he, you know, Steph Curry. They're like, whoop, whoop, uh, shooting hoops. You're like, it's so effortless. Well, Carter Hart has got that effortless look to him. And that's what is setting him apart from a lot of other goalies. Yeah. The other thing is that the mental preparation so years beyond his, uh, his age. And, and the other thing too, is, uh, you know, I watch him in practice, Marty, uh, a lot. And this season I'm, I'm watching him as the goalies come out and work, work out early with Kim Dillball and they're going, he's when Brian Elliott's in that he's going through this progression on the side repeatedly into he calls it. A, it's called a, he calls it a spread where he's falling forward, 
but he's going side to side and doing this. And I'm seeing the technical elements of this repeated nonstop. And it looks like when you see it in the save, it's pure desperation. You're just throwing yourself out there, but it's not. <laughs> There's oh. that foundation is there. And then you see it come into games man, and, he's, and he's got this spread and you see all the technical and he repeats this move that looks like there's no way you could control your body in that way, but you have to constantly be involving in the position to have other tools in your arsenal to make saves. Absolutely. I mean, that's the point about Hasek, right? I mean, there was so much control in his madness and that's why he was so good. Um, a guy that's very on the edge of being like, wow, you're, you're crazy. You're a freak and that is Andre Vasilevsky, but mm -hmm. everything seems very controlled in the way he does it. Now, Vasilevsky plays the game so much different than Carter Hart. They, they, they're, they're opposite side of the spectrum when, when you look at the way they play the game. But they are uh, in, in control of their element, in control of their body, in control of what's happening around them. And that's why they're two of the best goalies in the world to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting, the, 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 the preparation that you have to also be careful. And I found that art that out the hard way is sometimes too much preparation, too much uh, emphasis on, on, on being like so prepared could go against you. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Brandon Holby uh, is pregame ritual, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, it, another guy that works with John Stevens, like well, Carter Hart does. Yeah. Yes. But like, it was almost to a point where I'm like, if I did that every game, I'd have a burnout. I'd be so exhausted, yeah. but they have done this from the time they're, they're young. Like Carter Hart has, has, has worked on his preparation and his, 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 his uh, uh, routine for years. So for him, it's becoming like a, a normal and, and he can handle it. For me, it was, I, I never really worked on it that much. Like I would visualize, I would do certain things, but it was a different era, a, a different generation. So if I tried to do what these guys are doing, or if I said all of a sudden in the middle of my career, oh, I'm going to do this. I, I would I would burn. I would burn. I wouldn't be able to do it. These guys' mental capacity is way beyond what we were able to do even just 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And that rigidity and in, in preparation, like every minute of game day is accounted for. Do you, do you think part of that, uh, I've talked about this with other goalies, it, part of that is the lack of control in a game because of the position. It's a reactive position that you have uh, an obsessive control of everything before and at stoppages even because you know hopey every time there's an in-zone face-off he comes off his post does his thing yep he's got he his routine in the air he's got to yep. look at the droplets and all of that i did the same thing a little bit i made a save uh, <laughs> i had a linesman in juniors that i did not like um and he was arrogant and all of that and one game he kept coming over to me to get the puck and i kept sending the puck up to the dot to the face-off dot <laughs> instead of giving it to him and uh, and i had a fantastic game so then all of a sudden I'm doing that every game because yeah. that's what I can control. I cannot control how many shots I'm going to get. I cannot control how many breakaways, how many scoring chances, how many breakdowns there's going to be. Those are all things that I can't control. Well, I'm trying to find something that I can control. Well, yeah. being able to send the puck to the dot every time I covered the puck around the net or made a save was something I could control. Being able to, as Holby and many other goalies do, take their water, their mask off, watch a droplet. Jordan Bennington does this. Um, Carter Hutton here in Buffalo, and I noticed that when he was in Nashville, how he, he wipes his blades of his skates with his blocker hand every whistle. And I'm like, wow. why are you wiping the blade of it? Number just one, control. It, would just, it would make your hand wet. Yeah. And I, wouldn't, I would hate that, but it's control. It's what you can and cannot control. Or focus on the things that you can control. But sometimes, again, now that you talk about superstitions and all of that, it becomes too much. So, so within certain limits, it's perfect. When it controls you, then it's, it's, you've, you've lost all control. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, who in the NHL in your career was the, the toughest for you to read when they would, from a shot standpoint? Oh, from a shot standpoint, um, Yaramir Yager was extremely hard for me to read because he, he carried a stick with his hands really close together at the top of his stick. And the stick length and the puck was really far from him in a manner that you didn't think he could shoot the puck. Most guys have their hands a little lower when they are ready to shoot. He could shoot the puck with his hands within like eight inches of one another and boom, the puck would be gone. And I had really a hard time um, reading Yaramir Yager, probably one of the reason 
he's at the top of my list of guys that have scored most often against me. Um, so he's up there. And I didn't play against Jagger a ton. I was in Buffalo. He was in New York, uh, Pittsburgh, Washington. Like I, I didn't play him a ton. Now I played the Ottawa Senators all the time. And Daniel Alfredson is the number mm. one guy that scored the most goal on most goals on me in my career. Um, but it was because the sheer volume of games we played against one another. Jagger was just because he, he was a puzzle to me. Every time he had the puck, I didn't know if he was deking, shooting. I've looked so bad on goals against Yaramir Jagger that, uh, yeah, he was, he was definitely an enigma and, and a, a tough one to solve. He's one of the, it's like to kind of explain it to people, you all the signals he's giving you with his body and his positioning and his hands and everything are saying he's not going to shoot and then he snaps it. <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, his, his legs are so strong, so he's yeah, he's not moving. His legs are straight forward. His the puck is like four feet over to the side with his long stick. And you're thinking at some point he's going to shift his body weight. He's going to get his body turn over a little bit. He's going to show me that he's shooting the puck. And all of a sudden, ding! It's off the bar and in. And you're like, yeah. what? What happened? Yeah, your um, weight's on the wrong foot. You're dead man. Exactly. You're you're not even reacting. He was a tough one. Another one that was tough was Ilya Kovalchuk, and you know mostly um, because he had the big banana and he didn't even know where his shot was going. So let alone how am I supposed to know where you're shooting the puck? He just wanted to shoot it hard. He just wanted to score goals. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk was one that really was tough for me to pick up as well. Robert Ash for the series uh, Flyers goalies brought up the same thing. I've said this before as well. If it's you always like uh, facing shooters as a goalie. Um, that follow through on what they're showing you. When they don't know where it's going, how the heck are the goalies supposed to know? Well, the backhand shot is the most uh, perfect example for that. Yeah. Is most players, when they shoot a backhand, they, they, they can't really specifically pick up a spot, and there's no telltale sign because the blade is just open and it's curved the wrong way. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky always said, like, a uh, backhand shot is one of the most dangerous things because it's hard for the goalies to pick it up. And if, you, if, if you're a shooter and you're able to hide uh, your delivery and where the puck is going to go, you're going to score so much more goals, so many more goals than having pure strength and, and speed behind your shot because you may not be able to, uh, um, to catch the goalie on, off balance as much as if you can hide it as much as you can. Yeah, that's one of the things. A lot of kids that play listen to this podcast, and one of the things about Goalie Week is not just beneficial to goalies, but it's beneficial to scorers because you're right. It's not about the hardest shot. Sometimes it's about when you get it off and being able to read when a goalie's leaning in a certain direction. You, you always want to shoot to where uh, the direction you're moving in, but it's often prudent to shoot against that green because the goalie's moving that direction. Shoot where he's coming from, not where he's going to. Um, last thing for you, Mark, because you're a hockey lifer. Um, you've been playing this game forever. And I like to ask guys, certain guys, this, this very question to wrap it up. Um, what is the game meant to you and still does mean to you, but what, what, what is the game of hockey given you? What has it meant to you? Uh, I mean, from the time I was a little boy, um, learning to skate, playing friends, family. I mean, I learned work ethic from the game. I learned sacrifices from the game in ways that people wouldn't, re wouldn't really know why. Like my dad was a construction worker. Um, you know, he worked his nine to five job, 50, uh, 50 weeks a, a year. He had two weeks vacation. And my mom was a secretary later in life when we, my brother and I were back in school. So we didn't go on vacation because the money that they spent was on you know, a pair of used goalie pads for me or a couple of sticks for my brother or staying in a motel for a baseball tournament, right? Like their sacrifice that they made for my brother and I was incredible. And, and I think you don't realize it when you're young, but then you become a parent and you're like, wow, like they really uh, were teaching me a life lesson through sports, through hockey, especially. Uh, and, and that to me was, uh, uh, it was probably the biggest thing. Um, I think, you know, without hockey, well, I would have found something else. Like I was a good student at school. I love math. Uh, I wanted to be something with numbers. Um, I wanted to continue to, you know, go to university and do all of that. So I would have found something, but my passion and my love for, for your job, if you want to call it your job, was hockey. And it's still that passion and that love right now. 
So I, I'm pretty lucky because I hope to stay in the game for the next 40 years. I, I don't think I'll ever retire from the game because I want to stick around until they put me six feet under. Um, but I, I really, I will have done what I love the most and my passion for my whole life, which uh, is, is pretty special and pretty unique. And that makes a life well lived and to now pay it forward uh, to your kids and having your son be a goaltender too. Is it weird being a goalie dad? Do you stand in it the is, corner? It is. Uh, no, I just sit quiet, you know, it is because his mom would always look to me like, is that a good goal? I'm like, so now we have a system where it's like a one to 10 and I just give her a number. Right. And then, because then she understands, but, but I mean, I, I'm pretty, pretty quiet. I, I sit in the stand, I watch the game. Uh, we have a conversation. I, I get a ton more nervous and a ton more, like I literally have to go to the bathroom before the event is my girls I have three girls and they do a horseback riding competition they show Morgans and Saddlebreds. And, and when they're about to go in for their class, I'm like shaking. I am yeah. uncontrollably shaking. I don't <laughs> but my son will go in and play a championship game. And I'm like, eh, that's fine. I just sit with my Pepsi in the stands and I just, you know, hang out and I'm totally normal, totally relaxed. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm a crazy parent in every other sport. Baseball, I'm crazy. I'm crazy with baseball. When he plays baseball, I'm nuts. Uh, if I'm a coach, I'm arguing with umpires. I'm out there <laughs> kicking sand. Like I'm crazy in every other sport, but hockey, I get to relax, which is great. No, that's a comfort level as well. Uh, Marty, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, I loved having you here in Philadelphia. You were a great ambassador for, for the game and for the Flyers in your time here in Philadelphia and the sport and all, all of your career. We really appreciate you doing this. I know people are going to be thrilled to hear from you. Uh, best of luck to you, your family. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy uh, during this crazy time, and hopefully we get the game back on the ice soon enough. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, hopefully when uh... – pandemic's over i get to come down to philadelphia maybe even catch a flyers game and hang out with some of my old buddies down there maybe maybe danny briere will invite me to a game or something maybe he's got a guest uh, guest room i can sleep in or, or something like that perfect <laughs> <laughs> special thanks to marty buran for joining us as our first guest here on flyers goalie week on friday's episode we're gonna hear from michael layton everybody remembers michael layton of course for the goal that he gave up in game six against patrick keenan over time of the stanley cup final but what a lot of people don't remember is that in that conference final to get to the cup final against Montreal, he had three shutouts in that five-game series. That's an NHL record, three shutouts in a uh, best-of-seven Stanley Cup playoff series. So we'll talk to Michael about that, about playing for the Flyers, playing in Philadelphia, and about how perhaps if that game against Chicago was a year or two later, how that puck probably never would have gone in. He'll explain why, a technical goaltending reason why. So we'll have Michael Layton Friday. Everybody, thanks for listening to the first episode of Goalie Week here on Flyers Daily, and we'll talk to you on Friday.